In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. National Forest System, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Afar Media. I'm your host, Senior Editor Aislinn Green, and for the past six years, I've had the pleasure of working with some of the most creative and interesting people in the world. Comedians, philosophers, novelists, they've all shared their stories with Afar's readers about getting out into the world and just reveling in it. And now, each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from some of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. In this episode, we'll hear from Eric Weiner. Eric is based in DC. He's a frequent contributor to Afar and an author, most recently of the book, The Socrates Express in Search of Life Lessons from Dead Philosophers. That makes sense because I think of Eric as a modern day philosopher who's like 20% comedian. He's a pro at drawing out the deep stuff. He's also great at recognizing the absurdities of life. And it was that combo that made him the perfect person to narrate a trip across the United States on Amtrak. Here's what he learned about tiny roomettes, train kinetics, and the wonderful world of Amtrakistan. I don't know how to say this, so I'll just say it. I suffer from a condition have all my life, chronophobia. You see, I fear time, or more precisely, I fear the lack of time. I always need more time. Not a lot more, mind you, just five more minutes. Five more minutes to write this email, polish this paragraph, gaze at the night sky. My chronophobia kicks in first thing in the morning when my alarm goes off. Five more minutes, I plead, pulling the covers tight. It continues during my coffee. Five more minutes to sip the nectar of the gods, please, five more minutes. And so it goes. But, and here's the sad part, I never do find those extra five minutes. 
They've gone missing. I look everywhere for them, under the bed, in my inbox, on my Facebook page. Mostly, I look at my watch. I'm a compulsive watch checker. But if my watch knows what happened to those missing five minutes, it isn't talking. Then, one day, I had an idea. Maybe I'll find those missing five minutes on the road. This makes sense, I thought. Journeys are searches, so why not go in search of lost time? Worked for Proust, why not me? Besides, all travel is time travel. We travel to change the rhythm of our lives. So that's what I do. I embark on an epic journey, one that I hope will cure my chronophobia and restore my emotional equilibrium. That's a lot to ask of a journey, I know, but people have been asking a lot of journeys since at least the time of Homer, the Greek, not the Simpson. Yes, a journey, but where? I'm sure I could go to the obvious destinations, Miami Beach or Tahiti, laid-back places where you'd expect to find those fugitive five minutes, but no. I decide to go somewhere truly exotic, Amtrakistan. You see, I decided to take a train from Washington, D.C. to Portland, Oregon, a journey that takes four days and three nights, roughly 12 times longer than flying. So, one afternoon, I clambered on board Amtrak's Capital Limited at Washington's Union Station. I hauled my luggage down a narrow aisle, then discovered I'd been assigned the last roomette on the last car of the train, the caboose of the caboose. Now, I didn't know what my cabooseness said about me, but I was pretty sure it wasn't anything good. So I settled into my roomette. It was more et than room. Cozy, if you're feeling generous. Coffin-like, if you're not. I have to give Amtrak credit, though. My roomette was a marvel of spatial efficiency. In an area smaller than that of a Honda Accord, Amtrak managed to squeeze two beds, a table, which doubled as a checkerboard, reading lights, pillows, blankets, coat hangers, a magazine rack, a trash bin, and a closet so svelte I didn't notice it until Indiana. We'd been traveling for 30, maybe 45 minutes, when the train suddenly stopped. I didn't know why, and I really wanted to know why. I always want to know why. Why have we stopped? Silly question. In Amtrakistan, one does not ask why. Why is the cafe car open some mornings, but not others? Why do freight trains carrying coal, gas, garbage have the right-of-way over trains like ours, carrying actual sentient beings. Why? It just is. It's a strange foreign land, Amtrakistan. Even the kinetics are unusual. Sure, I experienced a gentle rocking motion, but also other sensations, including, but not limited, to the lateral lurch, the sudden jolt, and the undulating roll, a.k.a. the wave. Like I said, a strange place, Amtrakistan, but a wealthy one, too, rich in one natural resource. No, not oil or gold, but time. 
Amtrakistan is awash in time. I felt as if the laws of physics were altered. Sometimes events happen more quickly, a sudden jolt, for instance, but usually they unfolded more slowly. The coffee took a bit longer to brew. The sliding doors between cars slid more slowly, as if they were thinking about it. There was none of the temporal whiplash I experience in a plane at 30,000 feet. There's a reason the term train lag does not exist. Traveling like this, at human speed, an otherwise invisible world revealed itself. Wheat fields that really are golden, and country roads and baseball diamonds and old fairgrounds dismantled and forlorn. Barns, more barns than I, a child of Baltimore, have seen in my life, and graffiti, marvelous explosions, color and form. For hours, I planted myself by the stern window, the caboose of the caboose, and watched the world retreat, like a movie that's perpetually ending but never does. The strange thing is, I wasn't looking at anything in particular. Sure, I registered the passing landscapes, trees, fields, shuttered factories, but I made no demands of the scenery. Be beautiful, damn it! And it made no demands of me. Now, I didn't know where this sudden onset of mental health came from, and I didn't care. I was at peace. For a while. But then, about two days into the journey, somewhere in Wisconsin, I think, I got antsy. I decided to rearrange my roomette, moving my luggage from nook to cranny, then back to nook again. Then I fretted, big time. Nobody frets like me. Really, I'm a tremendous fretter world-class, ask anyone. By Minnesota, I realized this was silly. I wasn't going to change Amtrakistan. I either bend to its ways or I break. I decided to bend. Yes, I told myself, time to leave my roomette and explore Amtrakistan. Stretch the old legs. It didn't go well. I teetered and tottered like a drunkard. I body slammed complete strangers. Excuse me, pardon me, first time in Amtrakistan, coming through. An older woman, clearly a longtime resident of Amtrakistan, witnessed my incompetence with a combination of amusement and alarm. You've got to dance with the train, she said. Of course, I'd been fighting the train. I needed to dance with it, let the train lead. She was right, not only about the train, but about time. I saw time as my enemy, something to vanquish, to kill, must kill time. Maybe, I thought, I should see it as a dance partner, let it lead. And so I danced my way to my destination, the lounge car. It serves mediocre coffee and bland snacks. But the people watching is superb in Trakistan's public square. I noticed a young Mennonite man looking out the window. You see a lot of Mennonites in Amtrakistan. Their religion forbids air travel, but apparently trains are kosher. This particular Mennonite man was 
maybe 30 years old, but his fulsome beard made him look older, wiser. I'll never forget him. Hands clasped together, fingers interlocked, but it was his eyes that really captivated me, the way they took in the scenery, not like the other passengers, like me, with our hands twitchy, searching gazes, iPhones at the ready, hoping to capture a moment. As far as I could tell, the young Mennonite didn't want to capture a moment or anything else. He was the polar opposite of twitchy. I wanted to learn from him. I wanted to be him. Then there was Denise. She was on her way from Cleveland to home, the boom-and-bust oil town of Williston, North Dakota. When I gently suggested it would be faster and cheaper to fly, she told me she's afraid of flying. Actually, she clarified, it's not flying I'm afraid of, it's crashing. I nodded knowingly. I'd heard the same from many inhabitants of Entrapistan. At one point during a designated smoke stop, I noticed Denise on the platform puffing away and was briefly tempted to point out that the cigarettes were more likely to kill her than an airplane, but thought better of it. Pointing out logical inconsistencies is frowned upon in Amtrakistan. Besides, Denise was clearly enjoying her time on board, thumbing through magazines, looking out the window in a kind of benign stare, talking to strangers. We talked for a long time, Denise and I, We talked about how she once lived in a camper for a year. We talked about the hard winters in North Dakota and how she tries to grow apple trees, but the frost always kills them. We talked about her twin girls, 13 years old, and growing up way too fast. The train finally approached Williston, a muddy, broken town, crisscrossed with stilled oil rigs that looked like sleeping dinosaurs. As we slowed to a stop, an unexpected sadness crept up on me. We're not friends, Denise and I, I know that, but we connected, something that would not have happened at 35,000 feet. Up there, we would have sat in silence or exchanged some pleasantries or engaged in a passive-aggressive tussle over precious armrest space. And so it went during my stay in Amtrakistan. I developed a routine of sorts, reading, walking, watching, dancing. My mind slowed to the speed of life. Before I knew it, we were pulling into Portland's Union Station. I glanced at my watch, something I realized I hadn't done for several days. We had traversed 2,806 miles, crossed 12 states, four time zones, and countless ecosystems, all without breathing stale, pressurized air or fighting over an arm Yes, I had taken my shoes off, but by choice. I learned a lot in Amtrakistan. I learned how to distinguish the various kinetic sensations of train travel, a lateral lurch from a sudden jolt. I learned that the caboose of the caboose offers some of the best views. I learned how to dance with a train. I learned that Einstein was right. Time is relative. There's as much or as little of it as we allow. I learned that a watch works best as fashion accessory, not taskmaster. Look, I don't want to exaggerate my metamorphosis. Amtrakistan did not transform me into the Dalai Lama or Oprah. 
life still overwhelms me, confuses me, but it does so more slowly, and slower is better, always better. Those missing five minutes, turns out they were there all along, right where I left them, next to my iPhone. That was Eric Weiner. Eric says he doesn't have plans to take a train trip anytime soon, but he is traveling a lot in his mind. It's all part of his Pajama Travel Club series, a way for him to, quote, share my travels and my travel philosophy without leaving my home or my pajamas. And he says he's found those missing five minutes and then some. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash travel tales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast was produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Kresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redmond, Sarah Storm, and Irene Wang. I'm Aislinn Green, your zoomed-out, under-traveled host. I can't wait to hit the road again. Until we all freely can, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours?